Welcome to the August 15th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27, and the sermon is entitled, Hatred and Hope, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Get your Bible out, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 15, so turn and prepare with me there as we get ready for a study. And I will tell you that this is not the easiest study in the world as I'm going to address what Jesus says as the truth that we need to hear. Every word of this Bible is God's word, amen? Every word is truth, and whether it uh, is easy to hear or hard to hear, we know that it is God's truth to us, and we need to study it and know it and take it to heart, taking another step forward in our study through the awesome book of John. I have learned so much after reading this book more than 50, 55 years, it has taken on a whole new brilliance to me in this study. We're in chapter 15. We, as, uh, let me get us all up to speed as to, as to the setting. So if you're joining us for the first time today on streaming or here in person, you'll know about where we are in this, uh, in this study. Uh, as we open chapter 13, Jesus meets with his 12 disciples in a private room. It is the Thursday night before the cross the next day on Friday. He celebrates with his disciples the Passover meal, drawing from it the Lord's Supper. He also humbles himself, the master and the creator of the universe, on his own knees, washing their feet, teaching them a lesson of humility. He says, if your master washes your feet, you are to go and do likewise to help and take care of others in humble service. There is no service to us that is too humble. There's no service that's too lowly for us. If Jesus could wash their feet then we should be able to do anything for anyone in need. He then dismisses Judas Iscariot from his room that night as his betrayer. Uh, As the evening in the private setting of that room travels through, it ends at the end of chapter 14. Jesus and his 11 disciples, now short one, Judas Iscariot being sent out as his betrayer. So at the end of chapter 14, they leave the room. Where do they go? They begin a journey. They're beginning a walking journey toward the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, when you open chapter 18, you will see they arrive there. But from chapter 15, 16, and 17, it encapsulates the walk that they're taking and the teaching that Jesus is doing during that time. So as we approach Scripture today in chapter 15, the walk really has just begun out of the room headed toward the Garden of Gethsemane. In the first part of chapter 15... Walking toward Gethsemane, Jesus talks about being the main vine. He stops, I believe, in somewhat of a children's sermon. And in a vineyard, he says, I am the vine. I am the main trunk of the vine planted in the love and in the grace and in the life of God. And you're the branches attached to the vine. And branches are to be productive. And branches can only be productive if they're attached to the vine. That's true in real life. If you lop a branch off of a a grapevine, it is going to very quickly wither and die. If a person is not attached to the vine of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're headed toward death, eternal death. But also, if a branch is not attached to the vine and a, a person is not attached to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be productive in your life. You can't bear fruit in your life. Fruit can only come when you're empowered by the grace of God in your life. You are born with a specific set of talents, as I have been born with a specific set, but they can't be set into motion to serve him until you know him. 
So these ten who went through these waters of baptism today are now ready to begin their service of God. They're ready to use their talents, no matter how old they are, they're ready to begin serving the Lord, to be His representative, to be His witness in this world. But the climax and the pinnacle of this teaching in John is John chapter 15, verse 9. Look at that verse. John 15, verse 9. Jesus says this to His disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So Jesus says, the Father God has loved me. And He has given me a task in this incarnate form with flesh now. He has given me the task that I'm going to carry out tomorrow. The disciples don't know that yet. But He's going to die on the cross for the sin of the world. So as the Father has loved the Son and given Him something to do, the Son loves us and He gives us life and He gives us hope and He gives us eternity, but He also gives us something to do. No one is to live in this world as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and do nothing with your talents and with your gifts. Every one of us is entrusted to serve Him in the ways that He has called us to do so. But today, as Jesus walks toward Gethsemane, we're moving on now in chapter 15. He gives His disciples words of teaching about a stark reality that is going to take place in their lives. They would inevitably be able to expect this to happen. They're going to face something in their lives. The reality that Jesus is going to speak to them as we study it today is hard to hear. And in some ways, it's hard to preach. And yet, it is the Word of God, and we need to hear it. Many preachers of comfort and prosperity and popularity will not touch these verses because they are confrontational, and we need to hear them. So today we are going to study them. Jesus says to the men who will carry out his ministry, this is the truth of God, my friends. You are going to be a very hated group of men. The world is going to hate you simply because you have been associated with me. That's the primary reason that you're going to be hated because I'm your Savior, because you're walking with me. You're following me in the direction of ministry. Now, if you continue on in service and ministry and love in my name, Jesus says, you can expect hatred to come to you. The word for hatred in Greek is miseo, and it means malicious, murderous hatred. Not just a dislike from the world, but hatred from the world. So much so that sections of the world want to take their life. This is a sobering truth of the Lord, and we need to hear it. So, John chapter 15. Let's study these verses as I read them together, verses 18 through 27. Hear these words from the Word of God. Jesus says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not sinned. But now 
have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his very precious word today. As we see these words, look back again at verse 18, where we started. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. So as we think of that verse, let's start by defining who is the world. If the world hates you, it's because they hated me. Well, let's define that. Who is the world that hated Jesus? Well, in the Bible, the world, the term the world is used in three different ways. First of all, it means the planet God created. Now, I believe, now this is a Mike Fitzgerald belief, but I believe that this little blue water-covered planet is the jewel and the centerpiece of God's universe. I believe that we are the diamond on the necklace of creation. And the reason I believe that is, number one, because God himself walked here in incarnate form in Jesus Christ, and he came to save us by way of the cross. So I believe that this little planet, which is outnumbered and outsized by many, many other planets in this universe, this is the diamond on the necklace. This is the place God's heart is. And this is the place where his love is. I will always believe that. Now, scientists will most likely disagree with me, and I really don't care. I believe it to be true. God himself, incarnate, walked on this planet. That says something about how important we are. Second way the term world is used in your Bible, the term world means the world of human beings, for God so loved the world. Humanity. Men, women, boys, and girls are the world. Then there's a third way that the term world is used in your Bible, and this is where we are today. This definition of the world is today's study. The world in Scripture means the collection of people and all the nations who are not saved and not forgiven and not following Jesus, not following God's will. The world is composed of people who are opposed of God and opposed to His will and don't want Him. The world systems, the financial systems of the world, the government systems of the world that reject God Almighty. That's the world that we're talking about in this passage. This third group is the target of John chapter 15, verse 18. This is the world that says, I don't need any God. I am strong. I am rich. I am intelligent. I am wise. If I need a God, I will create one for myself. And the God that I create will not be a God that I have to follow. That God will cater to me, will take care of my needs. So I am so wise and intelligent, I can create my own God. That's the world we're talking about here. And that thought about God is indeed in our world this very day. But the Bible is very plain that we do not follow that world. And we do not follow that world system. Amen? As people of God, we don't follow that route. We don't believe that that's the route to God whatsoever. 
That's the world that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, when he calls it the wide path, the wide gate. Believers in God come through the narrow gate one at a time through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as you come through that narrow gate, believer, the way opens up as you serve him and love him and worship him and it opens up into the family of heaven. But then we're talking about a wide gate where people are going to walk as a community together doing their own thing, not caring about God, not caring about following him whatsoever. Do your own thing. Live as you choose, as you please. The theme song for the wide way is, I did it my way. Not God's way, but my way. And Jesus describes that world as being lost and hell-bound. The wide way does open up in a wide way in that so many lost people are walking together in their parties and in the way they believe in humanism. But as they walk down that way, it gets more narrow and narrow until it finally ends up at the doorway of hell where it's the loneliest place in the world, in the universe. So Jesus tells us to follow the narrow way, not the wide way. In the little book of 1 John, written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John chapter 2, it says we are not to live in that world. We're not to love that world. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, do not be conformed to that world. Don't form your life around the lost world. Don't Spend your life in the lost world. Listen, believers, here's the truth. No one, not one soul, can live in the lost world and live in the will of God. It's oil and water. It cannot be done. Jesus said it best in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and possessions. You cannot serve God and fame. It can't be done. You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the faith. There's no way that you can subdivide your life in that way. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Now, with that definition of the world, Jesus gives the disciples a real shot of reality the night before the cross. The unsaved, selfish, me-centered people of the world will hate you. The world will hate my disciples. The world will not pat you on the back for being my ministers. Now, you'll notice here Jesus is not pulling any punches. This is a direct, hard-hitting, real truth of God that he's giving to his disciples. Why is it so hard-hitting? Because the cross is within the hours. He didn't have any time to embellish or sugarcoat anything. He had to tell them the absolute truth because these were the last minutes he had. And so he says, gentlemen, the world will hate you simply because you belong to me and because you minister in my name. Obviously, the world hated Jesus. Now, we know that this was under God's perfect will, God's perfect plan, and the way that he would bring salvation to the world. But in an earthly sense, it was the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders who succeeded in sending Jesus Christ to the cross and literally killing him. They thought it was their party. They thought they did it. God God simply allowed it. But Roman government leaders and religious leaders thought they had done it. Why did they hate Jesus so much? Look at verse 22, John 15, 22. Why did they hate Jesus so much? Why did the world hate him? Jesus says in verse 22, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had... 
not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. In other words, I told them what sin truly is. And I told them that their lives were fake and phony, especially the religious leaders who taught the Word of God but didn't have the Word of God in their own heart. They were lost. And Jesus told them, and they hated him for that. So much so that they devised a plan for his murder to get him off the face of the earth. Now, if the perfect Savior, the perfect Lamb of God was persecuted, and he certainly was, he teaches us, beginning with the disciples on down through the years and the centuries and the ages till it comes to us. If we are truly his servants and his disciples and believers in him, this comes to us. He teaches us to be prepared for the same kind of treatment in life. Why is that? Look at verse 19. Jesus says, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So Jesus says when we are saved, when we have given our life to him as believers, he pulls us off of the wide road. He pulls us out of that crowd of humanistic people who believe they're so intelligent and self-centered and their own gods. And he puts us on a higher, more narrow road of service to him alone. And when the lost and humanistic world sees us with a higher standard, with a different code of ethics and a different way of understanding truth, different minds about living for the Savior alone, when the world sees that and sees that we have the courage to live that, the world hates us because we're different, because we walk a different road, because we follow the footsteps of a Savior who gave himself for us. And that will put us at odds with a world that rejects him, with a world who wants to dishonor him rather than honor him. Look at verse 23. A strong statement. You can circle this statement, underline this statement. Verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, He that hateth me, hateth my Father also. If you hate me, you hate God. If you hate the Son, you hate the Father. That's as starkly as he could put it. There are lots of people on this earth and in this world who talk about God. Muslims talk about God. Buddhists talk about God. Jehovah's Witnesses talk about God. Scientologists talk about God. And there are many so-called churches who preach about God. But listen, be very wary, be very suspicious of anyone who sidesteps Jesus. Be suspicious of anyone who preaches or teaches about God but never mentions Jesus. Because if Jesus is not in the quotient, there's something wrong there. Jesus said, if you can't mention me, you can't speak about my Father. You hate my Father if you hate me. And there are many, many organizations out there that speak about God and never mention Jesus. They are wrong. They are sinful. And they are lost, according to the very Word of God. To deny, to hide, to sidestep Jesus is not of God. It makes it ungodly. So the truth of Jesus Christ then, very simply put, offends the world. And we who live for him are offensive in the world. You know, I've told this story before. 
I don't want any of you to miss it. So if you're, if you're hearing it again, I'm sorry, but I've got to repeat it for those who may not have ever heard it. There was a great evangelist who was the predecessor to Billy Graham. His name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday preached somewhere in the 1900s. In fact, Pastor Clyde said that there is a, there is a thought about that Billy Sunday actually preached at Clifford Baptist Church somewhere around the turn of the century. That's kind of interesting to think that Billy Sunday had been here. But at any rate, Billy Sunday, great evangelist, predecessor to Billy Graham, he preached crusades in the early 1900s, and he was preaching in a large city. And believe me, Billy Sunday preached the truth of God and nothing less. And the city leaders got him one evening before a crusade meeting was to begin, and they said, you're offending our city. You're preaching about morals, and you're preaching about drinking, and you're preaching about living outside of the world of the Lord Jesus Christ and giving in to the world of drunkenness and lasciviousness. And you're offending our city because you're preaching in those terms. You're preaching the need for Jesus, that every person needs Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and to ditch those lifestyles and to follow Him alone. And it's offensive to the city. You're rubbing the fur on the cat the wrong way. And Billy Sunday said, that's because the cat is lost and headed for hell. If we turn him around to salvation, I'll be rubbing in the right way. How true that is. J. Vernon McGee. I followed his teaching a long time. J. Vernon McGee, as a preacher, would say, I'm going to give you an invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I want you to come to him as Savior. And once you hear my invitation, it is totally up to you whether you accept Jesus as your Savior or reject Jesus as your Savior. I cannot influence your personal decision. This is totally between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. But J. Vernon McGee says, once you hear it, it's your responsibility, and I will either be your best friend in heaven, or when you enter hell, I'll be your worst enemy because I made the truth known to you. And so it is true that when any person hears the invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ and walks away from him, it is a sad, sad day and a sad, lost decision when Jesus invites you to the throne of grace. Eternity hangs on Jesus Christ. And that truth angers the world. That, tr that, that truth says to the world, you're going to hell. And the world doesn't want to hear that. But make no mistake, church. The world hates us. The world works against us. If you don't believe that, watch TV after 8 o'clock at night. You will see on your TV the complete lack of morals, movies and TV filled with evil lifestyles, gay lives are now lifted up to be the norm of society. One show that I've seen advertised actually has men dressing as women. How gross is that? Another show, couples swapping off. You be watchful. Be careful what you allow in your home because the lost world is trying to get in and a major thoroughfare into your home is that box that sits in your living room. Be very wary and careful. Over half of Christian young people, Christian young people now have been brainwashed to believe that the world's belief of living together without marriage is okay. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 6 fits into that thought. Scripture says, adultery and fornication 
will never enter the kingdom of God. Sexual sin. Jesus did not just warn us. He assured us that standing on this word will put us at odds with the world. If we're going to be serious about it. If we're not going to try to accommodate the world but stand up in the world as the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be change agents of the world. Bringing the truth there. But listen, I don't want you to miss this. Here's probably the most important part of this word of God through Jesus Christ to his disciples. Look at verses 26 and 27. John 15, 26, 27, the last verses today. But Jesus says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is referring ahead to the day of the church. Notice that he's speaking in the future tense, when the Holy Spirit comes. It has not come yet. The Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension to heaven. When the church is born, that's when the Holy Spirit is sent from God to the church. That is a future statement when Jesus makes it here, but it's a present statement today. We have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Amen? The the Spirit of God lives in us and animates us and empowers us and impassions us that we might truly stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, when you have the Holy Spirit, which we have, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God living in us, as we go through hatred and we go through criticism and we go through uh, persecution and rejection, the Lord living in us will comfort us. And the Lord living in us will lead us. And he will let us know that we are indeed following him and strengthening us for the journey as we stand for him in a culture that rejects him so largely. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm giving you boldness here. I'm going to be living in your heart. I'm not just going to be walking by your side as I do now, but the day is coming when I'm not going to walk by your side but live inside you. And that's going to give you the courage and the boldness that you need to stand up for me in a world that hates you. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit shall testify of me in verse 26. How does the Holy Spirit testify of Jesus? Through us. Through our testimony. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us the testimony that we voice to the world. So you and I are the voice of a God calling people to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So church... I want you to understand this is not a downer sermon. I don't want you to leave here thinking that the world is going to hate you and you have no reason to be there. Jesus tells us what to expect, and it's just reality. It's just the truth. It was the truth in the disciples' day. Is it truth today? Yes. Absolutely it is truth today. But he says, don't you be scared, church. Don't you hang your head, church. Don't you hide, don't you compromise the fact that you know me, that you believe me, that you want to walk for me. Don't hang your head in shame. His strength is upon you. His protection is around you. His word is within you. His life shines from you. His truth is always going to prevail. We are on the winning side, church. We already know that. Read the end of the book. We already know it. We're on the winning side. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We just need to stand up and be the people of courage that Jesus asks us to be. Just as he asked his disciples, today's our day that we're to stand up. 
for him. I want you to remember the words again of a book that the same John wrote. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Recommit your life, believer, to standing up, standing true, standing strong. Praise God for the church. Praise God that we have one another, that we're at each other's back, and that we love each other. Believe me, church, I, I depend on you, and I love you, and, and I can't tell you what it would be like to be without you. I couldn't even imagine it, what it would be like to be without you. But we need to walk out into the world and share this Savior because the world is dying and going to hell, and God would rather much more adopt those people as disciples and sons and daughters. Be strong with the word. Be strong in your witness. Don't compromise. Be strong for the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you rededicate your life to that today? Saying, Lord, I promise I'm going to allow you to guide me every single day. This is my covenant, my promise, my commitment to you. Help me with that conviction and with your strength. And if you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, whether you're here or listening by streaming today, if you've never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I don't want you to be fooled, and I don't want you to be misled, because the world will tell you, oh, it's foolish and it's weak to go to church. And it's weakness to think that you need a Savior in your life. Don't be fooled into believing that you can speak the name of Jesus and something gets accomplished in your life. That's what the world will tell you. The world would also tell you that you can live in agreement with the world and still go to church, still serve God. No, Jesus said, it's all or nothing. It's all or zero. There is no such thing as a, a foot in the world and a foot in the church or in the faith. It's all or nothing. I surrender all to Jesus. Today, if you have never come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I want to tell you this. It's no use to come to Jesus as your Savior if you say, I'm going to give you a little bit. It does no good to come to Jesus and tell Him, I will give you what I choose. When you come to Jesus, you lay everything you have and everything you are at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, everything I am, is yours. You take me as I am, forgive me, and I pray, Father, that you will use me in your kingdom's work. I'm not going to give you peace. I'm not going to give you what I choose. I'm giving you my all. And that's what he wants. That's what he expects. If you need him today, you come and bring your all to him. Become a son or a daughter of God simply by saying, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the grave that I might have eternal life. I accept him as my Savior. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these precious moments today, Lord. I pray that we will come to the truth of understanding, Lord, that sometimes living in this world, and I know a lot of us live in the world, in the public system and where we work. We, we travel in the world practically every day. We have to live in the world. But Jesus told his disciples, I drew you out of that world. And I gave you a new purpose for living. And I gave you salvation and eternal life. And I'm giving you ministry. And sometimes people are going to reject you, persecute you, criticize you. But just as he told his disciples, you stand strong. 
He's telling us today, church, you stand strong for me. Don't compromise me. Don't hide me. Don't hang your head. Stand for me. Because in the end, I prevail. Help us, Father, to make that commitment to you. If there's one who needs you a Savior, I pray that he or she will come and just say, Lord, I lay it all on the altar before you. I don't want to hide anything from you. I ask your forgiveness of my sin. And I want to give you everything I have. May that one come. Even if they're streaming today, they can say that in their car, their living room, wherever they are. They can come to you and give you all. Church home or need, whatever it is, thank you for meetings. In Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.